Hello and welcome to another episode of Sports Weekly. I'm your host, Dan. I'm joined as ever by the Sports Weekly family. You've got Chris, the weird uncle that doesn't really want, nobody really wants to be there. Say hi, Chris. <laughs> Hello, Dan. And Josh, the annoying younger brother that everyone tries to get out of the conversation, but he always worms his back way back in. Say hi, Josh. Evening, lads. Thanks for that, Dan. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, Josh. And everybody, welcome to another episode of Sports Weekly. So it's that time again. We're here talking about sport from the past week. Josh and Chris, hello. Hello, Dan. You all right? How, how are you guys? Yeah, not bad at all. Good weekend? Yeah, yeah not bad. I mean, pretty good, considering Aston Villa won. Five oh. one. I think my weekend was Ooh. made just by thinking of how happy you'd be, Dan. Honestly. Really, uh, yeah, just I just thought... Honestly, absolutely delighted. <laughs> We're um, probably the best team in the league and we've finally shown it. So look out Liverpool. I think we're only about 16 points behind. Like <laughs> Definitely time. How are you, Josh? I'm, I'm OK. I'm feeling a bit gutted by the loss. And, uh, it happens to yeah. us all sometimes. But you take heart from Villa knowing that at some point you're going to be back up there like Aston Villa are, winning games. Smashing teams, or you know, it's a good feeling. Well, I think so. I'm just, I'm just glad that you're not on a Steve Bruce-based rant this week, Dan. I could be. I mean, <laughs> luckily, I tell you what, that um, cancelling training really paid off for them. Actually, honestly, yeah, it's as, if, it's as if it's as if his players thought, right? Steve hasn't come and told us what to do, so let's just do what we know how to do, and then we might be able to go and win the game. Because that must have been what happened. The players just thought, you know what, we've not worked on anything this week, so probably more likely to win. <laughs> but, I think know, it's only you know. fair that you retract your previous criticism, Dan, to be honest. You know. I will not, <laughs> and I will keep on criticising till the day I'm gone. Um, sorry, Steve. <laughs> I mean, even after he's gone, I'll still be criticising, <laughs> is what I've just said, basically. Assuming that I'm, I surpass the man. Which I might not. I don't know. Who knows? I don't. Uh, Chris, I haven't actually checked on the Lincoln City score this weekend. So, well, I'll enlighten you, you. Dare I ask? Yeah, we uh, beat Sunderland 2 0. Yes, you did. <laughs> Which was a fantastic result. And that included a missed penalty as well. So, it could have been more. So, um, yeah, brilliant result. Um, stabilized the club after, I think, five or six games without a win. Um, so, it was quite an important one. And that kept us. Kept us in mid-table now, so hopefully I'm right in saying who are the Cowley be... brothers again? Can't remember those people. <laughs> who are they? Well, they were winning themselves three 0 I think. Yeah, so. but <laughs> you won in style, miss penalty, and you still win, and you beat yeah. Sunderland. So who's yeah, that? That's probably one of the biggest scalps we've had in in years, really. So delighted, massive scalp. Um, well, as I said, welcome guys, and. A bit about tonight's podcast we're going to talk. Uh, firstly, first topic is about Serie A. We're not talking about the Premier League for once. We're talking about Italian football. Um, so that's our first topic. We're going to go on to talk about the World Championships, the athletics, um, and some brilliant British results. Um, we're going to then go on to Andy Murray and his resurgence in a way. It seems like quite a resurgent episode um, of the sports podcast this week. And then it's Chris's turn to do the quiz. And... Yeah. 
I'm nervous because <laughs> I made it pretty hard last week. And I don't want to bring it up again, Chris, but I think you got zero. <laughs> and Josh is laughing. You know what it is. They think about I it. I don't remember. Um, no, yeah, it was I, a shambles. I'm always shambles. I'm going to get zero this week. <laughs> but, well, it hey. depends whether I'm a vindictive man or not. <laughs> and if I know you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, I look, I'm looking forward to it, though. Yeah, I mean, zero. Some... I might get zero in style by being so wrong on all the answers. I just hope there are no more numbers. No more numbers. No. Josh, you'll be pleased to hear there are no numbers. This it week. is a foreign language-based one, though, Josh. <laughs> It's all in Italian to go with our <laughs> yeah, If it is, I mean, absolutely fair play. Well, well done. Um, but yeah, Chris is doing the quiz later, and then we're going to go through this week's polls. The poll for this week is going to be our favourite ever British sports person, which is going to be really difficult to narrow down to just one choice each. But we're going to try. However, before all that starts, let's have a look at the polls from last week. And um, the first poll we put out there was all about... Uh, the bad boys of sport. But actually, we're going to come to that second because that one was a lot closer than the first poll. Uh, than the second poll, I should say, sorry. So the second poll was all about, uh, based on Yeovil Town's ball boys being sent off over the weekend, um, the po poll was all about the craziest thing ever to happen on a sports pitch, court, track, whatever you want to call it. And Josh went for the beach ball incident, Darren Bent's infamous goal against Liverpool, did he score it? Did the beach ball score it? Does anyone care anymore? Pfft, who knows? Um, the 2003 British Grand Prix invasion was Chris's choice um, from a man by the name of Cornelius Horan. Uh, great name. <laughs> really bad thing to do. And uh, my choice was David Nalbandian's 2012 Queen's final disqualification against Marin Cilic, where he kicked an old man in the leg for no apparent reason and got disqualified because the man was bleeding profusely from his leg. Um, I mean, it's safe to say this wasn't a close poll. <laughs> uh, me and Chris went for quite niche options, I think. Um, and in all fairness, nobody commented with their other suggestion, and yet other still beat my suggestion, or still drew with my suggestion of David Nalbandian. Uh, <laughs> So not a popular choice with 5% each. The British Grand Prix invasion, Chris, came second with 8%. Okay. Which means that Darren Bent's beach ball, Josh's choice, came first with a, a whopping 81% of the votes. And there were quite a few voters. So, Josh. Josh. Massive win. I'll take that. that I've, I've gone mainstream and maybe I'll stick there. Do you reckon that's your first mainstream choice, like, of the whole poll system? Because you went for Ross, Ross Barkley the week before. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. What did I go for the week before that? Oh, I don't remember. But I'm almost the certain it was the mainstream. Oh, yeah. I went for Burnout Takedown for the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was it. I knew you went for something else. Burnout Takedown. <laughs> Ross Barkley. But then you think, right, I'm going to get the viewers on side, or the listeners on side, and um, smash it. Well, maybe. Maybe I just, yeah, I don't like the popularity and I'll go back to doing... Yeah, you, you best go for someone like completely obscure today for our poll. Um, <laughs> well, that, you've actually told me of your choice and it isn't obscure and I think you might win. But apart from that, we're fine. Um, but the second poll, or the first poll technically, was a lot, lot closer. 
So, we had a few other comments this time. And other got 4% of the votes. Someone commented Vinnie Jones in our Bad Boys of Sport poll, which isn't yeah, a bad yeah. shout, to be fair. And I didn't, I didn't really think of Vinnie Jones at the time, but actually, fairly good shout. And a terrible performance in X-Men 3 kind of also vindicates the choice when he played the juggernaut so bad and i think was it was his line i'm the juggernaut bitch as he then <laughs> runs at the at um the actress from juno i can't remember her name but and i can't remember what character she played because the, the film was not very good um, anyway someone also put gary lineker which i think is a bit harsh personally Mm. But very niche. Yeah, I don't know what your guys' thoughts about, about Gary Lineker being chosen as one of the bad boys of sport, but I can't really think of a bad thing he's particularly done. Yeah, he didn't get a yellow card in his career, did he? <laughs> <laughs> Just because he defecated on a pitch is that the only reason? I mean, he did defecate on a pitch, and that is, yeah. Maybe it's, it's somebody who doesn't like his political views. Uh, almost certainly, actually, yeah. That's a good point. So, I mean, if Gary's listening, because like, probably on Twitter, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, Gary's probably listening and, and, and we don't condone that choice, Mr. Lineker. Um, but hey, everyone's entitled to their opinion. <laughs> so, comments, uh, sorry, other with the comment below section was 4%. Chris, John McEnroe came in third with 16% of the votes. Disappointed, I thought it'd be higher. But, yeah, so did I actually. But maybe, I don't Too know. old. <laughs> Too far in the past maybe, <laughs> yeah. to be considered yeah. still a bad boy of sport. But I, I was in agreement with you, Chris. But the top two were separated by forty-one uh, by 3% of the votes. 41% and 38%. In second place was Joey Barton with 38% of the votes, which means, Josh, for the second poll in a row, you're the winner. Roy Keane was your suggestion. 41% of the votes. Josh, you cleaned up. You're the poll master. That does feel good. I'd love to see Roy Keane and Joey Barton having an arm wrestle. That'd be great. I, I don't think that they'd be in the same room as each other. I don't know why. I just feel like they wouldn't get on, even though they're both pretty poor <laughs> in, the, in the human being proceedings. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I just, it's just Roy Keane's voice and his general attitude that I think probably has won it for you, to be honest, Josh. Yeah, I think He's just that slightly more aggressive in his manner. I think Joey Barnes probably done, he's probably got more red cars, doesn't he? I would, I would imagine. But well, I don't know really because I was trying to think of Joey Barton red cards, and the only one that, I mean, and I know he's got more than this, but the only one that really sprang to mind was. Do you remember that um, the, when the day Man City won the title, the Aguero goal, um, mm -hmm. and they beat QPR three two. Well, I remember him getting sent off on that game because I think he needs someone right in front of the ref and then and then tried to hit someone on the way down the tunnel and then started another fight with somebody else. Yeah, he tried to kick Aguero uh, on the way off. <laughs> and yeah. I think he had the swing at Balotelli as well. <laughs> <laughs> Although, fair enough. Why Balotelli? What a great shout that would have been. Um, <laughs> yeah, letting off fireworks in his own bathroom. What a guy. Maybe that's, maybe that's not bad boy. Maybe that's just top lad of sport. I don't know. Um, Maverick. Yeah. We'll do a Maverick of sports. Yeah, that'd be some cool. other time. 
Yeah, well, well actually, that would have been a good one when we talk about Nick K- Kyrgios. Um, yes. Should have been Maverick of Sport last week, but hey, guys, we'll let the side down. You know, it's fine. Um, but yeah, Roy Keane, I can remember so many red cards. <laughs> they just all spring to mind. Um, <laughs> I feel like, did he headbutt Alan Shearer at some point? Or oh, hit Alan no, Shearer or something like no, that? But I'm definitely YouTubing that right now. I can't remember. He did. There was something with Alan Shearer where I think he got sent off for it. Um, and obviously that horrendous tackle to Alfinger Harland. Um, I feel like I can remember more Roy Keane red cards than Joey Barton ones. Um, but yeah, Josh, you won it. Two out of two. That's this week's podcasts. That's uh, the summary of last week and the summary of tonight's show. So, you know what? Let's get on with it. So, we start our podcast this week talking about Serie A. Huge game last night between um, the two leaders of Serie A, Juve and Inter Milan. Uh, Chris, you watched it. Tell us a bit about the game. Yes, I did. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic game. Um, really play, played with a high intensity all the way through the match. Um, very end-to-end. The tackles were flying in. Uh, like a sort of classic kind of derby match. Um, but also probably more, some people might think of Serie A as being a bit kind of defensive occasionally or um, not as free-flowing as some of the uh, Premier League games, but this was none of that. We felt a bit like a Premier League match. It was really, uh, really exciting through the whole match. A little so, surprising, really, when you think it was Sarri versus Conte, the two yeah. Chelsea managers who, who in their past were kind of blamed for the want of a better word for their either defensive or quite bland football at times yeah uh, well, both teams actually reflected their managers really um, Inter had maybe not quite as technically proficient as a team but with aggressive flying into their tackles pressing pressing high uh, both teams were actually and uh, Juve relying more on their technical quality interchanges of pass but also switching the play quite effectively uh, from wing to wing, which actually led to the first goal. Um, there was then a, uh, a pretty silly handball from uh, Delict uh, of Juve, which led to a penalty, which was converted by Inter uh, after about the 18th minute. So, which so quite a couple of goals quite early on in the game, and it continued in the same vein into uh, the second half. But unfortunately for Inter, I think their um, injuries told in the match. They lost. Um, Sensi, who's the quite diminutive sort of centre midfielder who's been having a fantastic start to the season, contributing goals as well, but also progressing the play really well in every match. So to lose him was a big loss. Um, and then they lost one of their, oh, they lost Godin, uh, one of their best centre backs mm, who yeah. only joined in the summer. He went off as well. So they lost a bit of defensive, defensive solidarity. And it was actually his replacement who was on the side where the ball was slid, slid past him for um, for Juve's winner deep into the second half by Higuain, who actually came off the bench. So quite an inspired substitution by Sarri. He really went for the game later on. Um, and Carton kind yeah. of brought back in after almost being told he was unwanted and being given to Chelsea. Yeah. Came back that... in last night and scored on what was probably one of the already their most important game of the season. Yeah, what's been interesting is how Dybala and Higuain were basically being offered around Europe in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, no club were really either 
either wanted them or didn't have the money to uh, to purchase them. But that's actually sort of galvanised both players. And Dybala had a had a fantastic game, and Higuain grabbed the winner. So I think it's actually inspired them to contribute for Juve and really make a good go of it and, and prove to the manager they deserve a place in the, the starting eleven. And uh, it's probably only added to Juve's. Uh, squad depth really having them there. I mean, of course, they also could afford to bench Ramsey for the whole game as well. He started well, well mean, in his career. So yeah, but I mean, benching Ramsey, uh, Adrian Rabiot, um, some of the players they brought in this summer, who 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 many thought would kind of go into their first team and and make their first team even better, have kind of taken a back step. And especially in a game as as, as big as this, yeah. it's, it's interesting that that's that was the the path they took. Yeah, it's been interesting. He's rotated his team quite a lot, Sowy, which is unusual compared to how he was at Chelsea, where he religiously made that <laughs> made that Barkley uh, Kovacic substitution. Don't get Josh started times. on Ross Barkley <laughs> last season. So, <laughs> but there was no. He's been quite much more flexible at Juventus, possibly because he feels he could trust more of the squad, but also maybe it reflects a slight change in his mentality as a manager for Juventus um, either way it paid off it's paid off well last night and took them into the first place in the league uh, back well, ahead uh, into and, it, and it, you mentioned the, the fact they've gone back to first place um, Josh Juventus are on 19 points at the minute after seven games Inter are on 18 points at the minute after seven games now Inter had won every single game so far this season before last, last night's loss but I kind of feel like last night's loss against Juventus, who are going to be their biggest rivals for the championship this season, it seems it strikes me as a massive defeat. Not just three points lost and three points gained for Juventus, but kind of psychologically, the fact that Juventus topped Inter. And now, for me, it's Juventus' to lose from here on in. What, what do you think? Uh, I, I do think Juventus have got the, the better squad. They've really reinforced in the summer. Um, they've got some amazing players, um, like you say, Chris, to 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 afford to bench Ramsey, um, who's cost what eighty million? No, not that much, but he's on four hundred k a week, isn't he? Um, it, yeah, yeah, I mean, was, I mean, free free transfer, but was able but, to then take in so much money, like you said himself, and is is <laughs> on a massive amount of money per week. However, I can't, I, you can't really look past Conte's record as a manager. He's did amazingly for Chelsea. His teams always look so solid, um, and I feel like on his on his return to Italy, he's also got that that passion. A little bit like Simeone. I don't know if it's just a defensive midfield, a manager thing, but they're always I don't know get their teams really kind of passionate and wanting to kind of fight for the team. I really think Inter could be the ones just because Juventus have won it so many years in a row now they could be the ones to well, kind of what, usurp them. what is it is it eight years in a row now they've won it or or was it seven last year I think it's seven but and it's just obscene <laughs> it, well it is it. obscene isn't it and and does that then what do you think does that then lead to what many people perceive to be then a boring league or th- or do you think, think it so. just shows the strength and depth that Juventus have over the other teams I don't I don't think it it leads to a strong league to have a consi- like seven seven in a row, not at all. I think to have that competition that you've got between City and Liverpool, Real and Barca, it's not only more entertaining for the fans, but shows that there are actually more than one team that can compete. Even though Napoli, I think last couple of seasons, 
Roma a little while longer ago, it's always been Juventus by far the biggest favourites, um, which is just so different from the past when there was kind of Milan, Juventus, Inter, who could all have won it, which is, I think, yeah, for me, why perhaps Serie A doesn't, doesn't get as many viewers as your, your Premier League and your La Liga. I mean, I think, I think to be honest, you've got a point. Um, obviously, um, Juventus are now the the driving force behind Serie A football, and 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 tend to do fairly well in Europe as well, um, compared to the other Italian teams. I would say. Um, I mean, it hasn't always been that way, and like you've said, it, AC Milan in the past, Inter Milan in the past. You had Fiorentina, Parma in the past. Loads of teams that really took. Italian football and 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 made it one of the most exciting leagues. I don't think it is that anymore. Now, Chris, I'm going to take you back to 2006 when the massive scandal, um, I think it was called Calciopoli, um, got a brilliant Italian accent, as you can tell, <laughs> and um, which I think translates to football gate. And it was, for those that don't know, it was a massive network of managers from different teams and referees and kind of talking to each other and almost match fixing games and trying to get favorable favorable referees um and i think it was found that juventus were one of the main driving forces behind it um in that season ac milan got docked eight points for the next year um fiorentina got docked 15 points for the next year. They were originally going to be relegated to Serie B and docked 12 points, but their final punishment was uh, to be docked 15 points. Um, Lazio were docked three points for the next year and were taken out of the... um, I think they were taken out of the UEFA Cup in 2006-2007, as were uh, Fiorentina taken out of the Champions League in that season. Uh, Regina that season were docked 11 points, but by far the most, um, I mean, ha- not harshly treated, but the most punished team were Juventus, who were relegated to Serie B, docked nine points, fined, stripped of the of the title from the year before, um, and then downgraded to last place um, from the, uh, the Serie A in that year. And then we're in Serie B playing. I mean... Imagine that now to one of the the huge teams in in the Premier League. Im- just imagine what that would feel like. I mean, how do you think that must have been for the for the people of Italy, but also the fans of Juventus and the other teams around, who must have known at that point that the product of Italian football was massively on the decline. Yeah, um, yeah. One one of the biggest scandals to hit European football ever, probably. But, but do you think do you think that it's not really recovered from that um or is just a, or just starting to recover i should say i think it yeah i think you've got a good point it certainly set them back i mean the heyday was definitely the 90s if you, as you've touched on when it was quite well the best players in the world were gravitating towards syria um and that led to eight or nine teams being absolutely fantastic and could contend all of them could contend in europe as well as fight for the Serie A title um, I think those years were not behind them fully but yeah possibly there was a bit of a switching of power taking place at that time but this scandal really accelerated that um, and yeah uh, you're right I think it put put a lot of players off put a lot of fans off that they couldn't maybe trust the, trust what they were seeing um, for many years afterwards um, but yeah I think over the last 
last few years, I think it's starting to come back. Yeah, led like like you say, led by Juventus, who uh, have really come on as a club and responded so well to that massive setback. Uh, and I think they're, they're dragging some of the other clubs with them now. But uh, I think as an Italian, they would have been pretty pretty devastated with it. But it kind of created a siege mentality, which led to them winning the World Cup just a month later. So yeah, I mean, so I was I was going to bring you to that because yeah. Yeah, they did then go on, despite all the controversy, despite all the the kind of the corruptness, they did then go on to almost bully their way to the World Cup. They played some great football, but they were stronger than the other teams. They were more together than the other teams. They were kind of us against the world mentality, which at that point they probably were. Yeah. And funnily enough, that followed. It's exactly what they did in 1982. And their last World Cup win, when there was a match fixing scandal at the end of the 1982 season, so it's history repeating itself yeah. twice, really. So, if Italy want to win the World Cup, they obviously need to uh, fix some games. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> yeah, they should they should really start doing that soon if they really want to kind of win. I mean, I'm, t- I'm going to take Josh. I'm going to take you back to 2006, 2007 season. Juventus in Serie B, and just listen to some of the names they had in effectively what was, what was the championship of uh, of Italian football. Um, Buffon in goal, Chiellini at centre back. They had um, <laughs> Alessandro Del Piero, Pavel Nedved. They had Claudio Marchisio, David Trezeguet, um, as well as some of the likes of Jean Alain Boomsong a great defender. Um, Valerie Bodjanov, Man City legend. Um, but just some of those players that I mentioned beforehand, the ones that I genuinely mentioned as being good players, just imagine oh having that much ability in a league that that was below the league they all should have been playing in. It's almost like they they just expected, they thought, okay, I've only got to have one season of Serie B. We've got this team together. If we stick together for one more year, we're straight back up. And mm. that trajectory can carry us maybe towards the top the, the following season. But, oh, my goodness, what a team. World Cup winners in Serie B. It's just, uh, I wonder if that's happened since. I've, I've no idea. But well, I mean, the season before they got um, taken down to Serie B, they also, I mean, they lost at the end of that season when they got um, relegated. They lost Fabio Cannavaro, um, Lilian Turam, Gianluca Zambrotta, Adrian Mutu, Patrick Vieira, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So all the players I mentioned before added to those players that I just said. What an insane team that Juventus team was. I think that shows how far, even with the kind of recent renaissance to a certain extent, there is not a team like that in Serie A now. Not with kind of multiple kind of World Cup winners all in their prime as well. Like yeah, I mean, there's not many teams like that around the world in general anymore. No, I, but, Man City apart from the closest, but... yeah, Man City, maybe Barcelona to a certain extent, but not not as Barcelona were when they had all of like their abs- their players in their absolute heyday. Um, I, ju- to be I, honest, I, I couldn't I couldn't name four like defenders of that caliber now, like Taram, um, Chiellini. Achilles still playing, but Keelan in his in his prime. Yeah, I mean Cannavaro. Cannavaro was so good, and he was. I like him as a short man myself. Cannavaro <laughs> kind of showed that short people could be defenders and be Absolutely. world class, <laughs> and look damn good with a shaven head. <laughs> um, Not something I've adopted myself, but I go know, for maybe, it, Josh. I mean, you honestly won't regret it. <laughs> and then send me a picture. 
and change my name to Fabio. And honestly, imagine that. <laughs> imagine if you just just call yourself Fabio from now on. Great name, by the way. I'd, I'd thoroughly back that. Um, I'm talking about that team, but I want your guys' reaction on this team. I mean, obviously, in Italian football, you've had so many good players, the likes of um, the real Ronaldo. Um, and then you've had people like Ronaldinho. You've had uh, David Beckham go back to uh, go over to Italy. You've had, as I said, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Lilian Taram, um, Alessandro Nesta. Those kind of just insanely good players. But I'm just going to talk you through the AC Milan 2005 Champions League team, and I want both of your reactions to this because, wow, you had in goal Dida. Cafu at right back, Yapstam, Alessandro Nesta and Maldini across the back four. Andrea Perlo anchoring in midfield. Then Gattuso and Seydorf just in front of him with Kaka just in front of them as the, as the playmaker. And then up front, Andrew Shevchenko and Hernan Crespo. What a team. What a team. It's well, basically the perfect is, team. My question is, who, the, who on earth do you take out? Who is like the weak link? There is no weak link. There isn't, though, is there? Because, as Chris said, it's the perfect kind of... They, they complement each other so well. Andrea Perlo's like a like a quarterback just spraying passes around, where um, Seydorf's a, a, a brilliant all-round midfielder and yeah, Gattuso's the little, the little weasel in midfield, just kind of chipping at people's heels and getting people riled up and kind of uh, going toe-to-toe with everybody. Yap Stam and Alessandro Nesta is a back... Two, as two centre-backs, you'd struggle to find... I think if they were playing now, you'd still struggle to find two better centre-backs. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think world centre-backs have just generally dropped off since sort well, of the mid When you consider that England are starting Michael Keane at centre-back. Yeah. No offence to Michael When Keane, you consider but... that people like Tyrone Mings can make the England score... Oh, hey, just... hey up. <laughs> I mean, let's not start that. I mean, Tyro Mings, a lot of people have said, is better than Alessandro Nesta was in his prime. Yeah, but you wouldn't have caught Nesta playing a suicidal loopy back pass to his own goalkeeper. Like, All he was doing was thinking, right, we've scored five. Let's let them score at least one. He's a nice guy, Chris. <laughs> he wanted them to score. That's all. Can you imagine the earful Gattuso would have given things like that? And Stam. <laughs> Gattuso and, and Stam just yeah. absolutely wailing in on... <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't. But, but yeah, but outside of like Van Dyke, maybe Laporte. Um, but that the is guy, the thing, though, isn't it? I get like SG. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Brazilian. He's pretty good. Oh, Thiago and Silva. Uh, Thiago Silva and like Rafael Varane and Pique. Sergio Ramos. And yeah, and, and a Peak Ramos. I mean, that, that, obviously they're all fantastic, but it's there seems to be far fewer of them around whereas in the sort of early 2000s you could list about 20 absolutely fantastic uh, defenders. I, mean, I mean considering that um so obviously stam and nesta were a, were a centre-back pairing but consider you've got people like chris smalling phil jones marcus rojo playing for manchester united i mean obviously not chris smalling anymore but in in very recent seasons um yeah. the fact that you've just some of the people you've had dejan lovren uh, playing in the in the centre back pairing at Liverpool, um, mm. obviously John Stones and Nicholas Otamendi. Mm. Yeah, I, I would still argue it's that a... Nesta Nesta has the beating of Van Dyke for me now. I think Nesta was uh, he doesn't he didn't just make the insane. mistakes that Van Dyke can no. can make sometimes. He just he just didn't have a mistake in him. He was unbelievable. Nesta was it, so good, but he like even Nesta was 
brilliant. But you even had like Fabio Cannavaro, who was also an, a, a world class centre back, and Maldini, who was just outside of them, and Lily, and um, lots of other people around that time, all just such good centre backs or such good defenders. Yeah, Costa Curta couldn't even get in the oh, side. He couldn't, and what a player he was as well. <laughs> you see him on the Legends games, and he he's still got it. Yeah. But, he played till into his forties. Do you think that then defending in general? Then, if we look at that defense and look at defenders now, defending is less fashionable. I mean, Yapstan yes. was a defender. He was yeah. huge. He was a, a mountain. He 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 wouldn't let people get past him. He would he would shout at everybody and make sure he was the voice from from the back. Mm. And well, it just seems right. like when you compare him to someone like John Stones, and it, it could be unfair, but he is. An England centre back. I think he the game is a Man City centre back. Yeah, but you wouldn't imagine him imposing himself on any of his teammates. Really, he wouldn't be intimidating to any of his teammates. He, if if he shouted it, you wouldn't go. Oh no, I better do what John Stones tells me to do. Well, I think the game's changed. It's become more about possession, and it's gone more into attacking, which in many ways is great. But um, and we get more goals, and that's all a good thing. But there's a lot of high pressing, and they want their centre backs to be able to almost start the attacks and be playmakers in some cases. Um, Which then leads us to 11 attacking players. Yeah, they kind of take the mistakes and lack of defending ability on the chin. If it means that they can set up an attack, they'll they'll just accept that as a risk. And we've seen it with Arsenal and Man City in recent weeks where they maybe don't have players entirely suited to (laughs) to starting those attacks from centre-back, but they want them to do it. And, And they'll They'll take the uh, embarrassing mistakes on the chin if they can sell attacks. And they know they've probably got the full support of their manager if if, if they're trying yeah. to play the right way, even yeah, though the defenders and their first job should be to defend. Rather than as much as anything, yeah. Maybe we're comparing apples and oranges, really, comparing someone like John Stones and Alessandro Nesta. Yeah, Nesta of course we are, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Breaking out from the back, linking up play, spraying long passes, really. He was quite content to just not let any goals in which you'd think that's what a defender would do but like you say Chris I think it's about for the best teams now winning the ball high up the pitch so the defenders just don't have to do anything they just kind of well they they start the attacks but in terms of that defensive work there's so much less to do when you you've got the ball all the time and you're winning it high up the pitch yeah and I think it helped that AC in the case of that AC Milan side it helped that the centre-backs could just shuffle the ball onto Perlo a player of his quality yeah. and, and allow him to play mate could just any, pick a pass from anywhere could just pick mm. from anywhere yeah, it's, an, it's a luxury the luxury they have yeah true I mean so I'll fast forward us now to, to this season where I think we've reminisced enough and <laughs> we could reminisce for hours about some of the teams in Syria uh, back in the day but I bring us forward to this season I've kind of highlighted three teams and uh, for what there seems to be an almost resurgence in Italian football, especially with the amount of money being spent and some of the calibre of players that are coming back to Serie A. Now I'm going to go through um, AC Milan and they, uh, they've spent this season, I mean, infrastructure wise, they've got um, Paolo Maldini back in as a, um, as a technical director. They've got Zvonimir Boban back in as a uh, technical supporter. They've got... Uh, a new manager in Marco Giampaolo, um, who I think was manager at Sampdoria last year. Uh, really was, but he got sacked yesterday. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I know that that happened. However, yeah, they they kind of infrastructure wise, they were planning on going for the future. That hasn't worked. Oh, but the fact that they've got yeah. Maldini in at the top and Zvonimir Boban underneath him kind of suggests they want to get back to their glory days. And and they gave their manager upwards of about a hundred and something million to spend. So they they kind of went big. If you look at Inter Milan, they spent a, a very large sum of money, especially on Romelu Lukaku, who cost them 65 million euros. Um, but they also signed Diego Godin. Um, they signed the likes of Alexis Sanchez on loan um, and looked to heavily back their, as Josh said earlier, new manager again um, in Antonio Conte. And then the other one, Juventus, another new manager um, in Maurizio Sarri. And obviously last season they signed Cristiano Ronaldo for around 100 million euros. But this year on a free, they've got Aaron Ramsey, Adrian Rabiot, uh, Gianluigi Buffon, but also brought in players like uh, Matthias De Ligt and Danilo from Man City. Um, all of these teams are trying to spend big and restructure and reorganize to kind of go for the Italian Serie A, but also challenge in Europe. Do you think that, um, and I'll go for you, Josh, first, do you think that there will be a resurgence of Italian football other than just Juventus? Do you see any other teams kind of challenging in, in Serie A? And you've already mentioned Inter Milan. And do you see any of the Italian teams kind of progressing to the very, very latter stages of um, the Champions League? I feel like, certainly in terms of the Champions League, this is probably Italy's best chance for for a few years, just because of the kind of obvious weaknesses in Barcelona and Real Madrid at the minute with the kind of ageing of Messi and Real Madrid not really having adequately replaced Ronaldo. You feel that those two are just slightly less of a force than they were and someone like Juventus with such a strong team in depth could really could really put in a challenge actually, especially only being a finalist a couple of years ago. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a... I don't know if the Renaissance has really kind of put it right up back up there with La Liga and the Premier League. I think it I think it may well have reestablished itself as the kind of like the third power. I just think some of these players, as good as they are, you, Ronaldo kind of hit his peak and has just gradually declined, just because, merely because of his age. I think Delict's quite an exciting signing, but perhaps hasn't quite performed yet. I, I just think some of, some of the players that have been bought, like Lukaku, didn't quite cut it in the Prem at the very top level. So he goes to Serie A. It's just, there's just a little bit of a pattern where you think... And, and he is their top scorer at the minute. Mm. Um, le- level just, with, as Chris said um, beforehand, level with Stefano Sensi. And, uh, well, in the league anyway. I just question whether he'd be the top scorer in the Premier League. I just don't think... I think some of these players, I think, have gone for perhaps a, a slightly easier league where they can do better, like your, your Quadrado as well, your Mkhitaryan. I, yeah, I, I, I don't see it as perhaps as much of a renaissance as, as a, maybe just a re-establishing back above uh, the Bundesliga, for example. I think certainly with Inter and Juve doing well, I think that, that's what it's done. Do you see anyone, Chris, challenging for, for the major European titles from Italy? Or do you see it kind of being your La Ligas, your Premier Leagues, who are 
kind of out on top again this year. And I suppose it's difficult for Italy to to compete with the amount of the Premier League money that gets spent and the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid, who literally can bring in anyone at any point. Um, I think Juventus are probably possibly amongst the four best teams in Europe this season. So I think them, yeah. they could definitely win the Champions League this year. They've got a, a fantastic opportunity. So yeah, I'd say they're, they're definitely up there with the rest of Europe. Um, beneath that, Inter, I think this year are desperate to win the league. I think they'll, even though they are in the Champions League, I think they'll focus completely on the league. So I don't see them competing this year. Maybe next year, if um, if they can expand the squad a bit, they might give it a bit more of a go. But I think they're focusing you, on the league. Do you think um, that's what um, Antonio Conte was brought in to do, to kind of knock Juventus off their perch? Yeah. I mean, into where three or four years ago, we kind of come in fifth and sixth, and it was a bit disappointing. Then under Spalletti, they were coming fourth getting into the Champions League which is a good progression and I think Conte's come in now and with the task of take the title back from Turin really so I think they'll be going all out for that so I don't see them really challenging in Europe Atlanta uh, very exciting team but I don't think they've been in Europe for many years so I think they might get caught out a bit by the more streetwise teams that are used to playing in European football yeah I mean they lost 4-0 to, to Dynamo Zagreb for yeah, example they kind of completely mugged them off, didn't they? So I think, uh, yeah. but they're third in the league this year, Atlanta. So they've got a good start. Yeah, and they've made a good start in the league. What a fun team, yeah. And Napoli, I think, I think Napoli are very good. I think they could go quite. They're in Liverpool's group, aren't they? And they beat Liverpool yeah, yeah. Uh, three weeks ago. So they've shown they can compete with any. I mean, Liverpool are the reigning champions and got to the final the year before. So if you can beat them, yeah, very true. So I think, yeah, I'd put Napoli up there. So yeah. This year, Juve and Napoli, I think, uh, in Europe and into to, yeah, focus on the league. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely improving as a league after some fallow years. And like you say, I think I agree with Josh that some the players go in there, some of the stars are maybe just peaking or looking for a way out of certain clubs, Manchester United. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it certainly raises the caliber, and uh, I think it's yeah, I think it's on its on the way back and I, th- I think that's a great point to finish on I really hope it is on his way back because I think that it's been such a, a good league historically and it's had some of the best players in the world in it all at the same time that I just hope at some point in the near future it can get back to being one of those leagues that that everyone talks about that everyone takes an interest in and that kind of showcases so much more talent than it has done over the past few years Right, our next topic is a sport we haven't talked about before. I was hoping for more fanfare. Thanks, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Um, Because we're going to go on to talk about the World um, Athletics Championships from Doha, which have now finished. And great news for us, Great Britain ends on their lowest medal tally since 2005. Five medals in this championships. Uh, a little disappointing, I feel. Yeah, um, it's, you know, like you say, yeah, um, not good at all, really. I feel <laughs> distinctly underwhelmed, really. Uh, completely carried by uh, one brilliant athlete, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, and when you look at that, and that's exactly right, because she won 
gold in the 200 meter sprint. She won silver in the 100 meter and she was part of the four by 100 meter women's team to win silver as well. So that's three medals that she had a, a significant part in herself. Um, the only other two medalists were the brilliant Katarina Johnson Thompson, who won gold in the heptathlon, and then uh, the men's four by one hundred meter relay team, which won silver. So two golds, three silvers, and nothing else. Um, not fantastic, but we move on because Dina Asher Smith. I mean, what a brilliant athlete! Competing in the events that. Britain necessarily haven't always had a, a strong performer in. We haven't always done brilliantly in um, the the individual sprint events. I mean, historically, the likes of of Linford Christie have been have been excellent for our for our sprinters. But normally, we don't have medal winners in in this event. But Dina Asher Smith is just a complete breath of fresh air, and she was so brilliant in the two hundred meters. And so brilliant in the 100 meters, where she just never looked, especially in the 200 meters, she never looked like losing. She just kind of went away, wasn't caught by anyone, and there were some seriously good runners in in her in her two races. Um, Josh, what what do you think that Dina Asher Smith can can now do for young people who almost now have an idol to kind of replicate in the future? Yeah, I think. It's great to see, like you say, uh, we're not, um, it's not an event we're historically kind of consistently good at and to to see Britain do well in that is always amazing. But yeah, to to kind of set an example to kind of young girls who, you know, maybe aren't that into sport or, you know, don't see sport as something that maybe the, the girls do, she sets an incredible example and she does it all with a smile on her face. It's great to see, really great to see. I, I think she could become a kind of almost a Jessica Ennis Hill popularity-like figure, such as a kind of her sort of charm and her amazing ability. And I, and I hope she does, to be honest, because she absolutely deserves it. And I think, I think you're exactly right, Josh, because she always has a smile on her face. She always, she just looks like she absolutely loves being there, loves doing it, loves competing. And it's worth noting as well that in the, um, I think in both races, in the 100 and 200, she got a new British record. Um, she absolutely smashed it. And it was so, it was just so brilliant to see someone doing so well in a, an athletics championships where we didn't, as, as, as Great Britain, do well at all. And I mean, Chris, why, why do you think that could be? Why, why might we have not done very well? What, what could be the reason? Is it because it was the athletics championships and there wasn't the element of cycling, which we always do really well in? There wasn't the element of, of swimming, which we always do really well in? Was it the heat? I, what, do you, what do you think could be the reason why we were so poor and got such a low medal tally? Um, yeah, I think you might have touched on it, really. I mean, we were quite... If you look back to the 2012 Olympics, where we were very successful, um, it was based on certain targeting, certain uh, sports where we thought we had a good chance of winning medals in, like you say, uh, the cycling and the swimming. Um, so I think the lack of those being there was to our detriment, really. But having said that, 
the World Championships have been run on the same sports before, and this was on our lowest for some time. So we've clearly had that ability in previous years. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Maybe I think we're maybe waiting for the next batch. To, I imagine a lot of athletes are inspired by the, uh, the 2012 Olympics in particular, but they're not going to be of possibly have come through yet from that if they were quite young when they were doing so so maybe in the next sort of four to five years we'll start to see um the real benefit from that come through um and maybe in a, just a slight fallow period these things can go in cycles like we've seen in other sports um so maybe it's just a collective downturn at the moment i'm not sure do you have any ideas i mean again it's hard to say but i think that Funding could be a reason. I think because we've historically not done brilliantly on the track events, um, not necessarily brilliant on the field field events either, that, that funding could yeah. be a major issue. Um, our funding tends to go in the ones we do really well in. Cycling we always mm. do brilliantly in. And then because it's then ploughed with more funds, we continue to dominate. Um, swimming, we always take a lot of medals, Adam Peaty especially. And because he we take a lot of medals in swimming, it's then a lot more money has ploughed into it. Now, hopefully, because of Dina Asher-Smith's success, I know it's more individual, but hopefully the money is kind of taken and, and put a bit more into, into the track side of things to make sure that we've got somebody competing brilliantly in all the events. Because we can clearly do it because we came, we got a silver medal in the 4x100-metre men's relay and women's relay. So we've clearly got fast runners. We're clearly good enough it's just something is stopping some of the individuals getting into the medals and and i think that has to be pointed out especially with tokyo 2020 just around the corner and we want to see some some really good british winners and hopefully then like you said with the london 2012 olympics hopefully we see some some more british um brilliant athletes inspiring the next generation and the next generation that keeps on going because what we'd hate to happen is for us to have the really poor tokyo 2020 funding to be taken away from certain areas and then a, a period of, of of little to no success because that would be really detrimental to the to the athletics as a general you risk starting a cycle of decline at that point don't you really that's that's the problem isn't it um and that's that's exactly what we don't want to happen but hopefully people like um, Dina Asher-Smith and a, a huge word for, for Katarina Johnson-Thompson who smashed the British record um, I, I think she got 6,981 points in the heptathlon um, she set four personal bests in the events that she did um, she was absolutely brilliant um, so hopefully people like her people like Dina Asher-Smith can kind of spark the next generation of athletes and, and keep us dominant in certain areas um, for some time to come, not just in cycling and in swimming, where we tend to dominate all the time. And it'd be nice if we then start to see kind of um, a surge of, of, of new athletes because of the likes of Johnson Thompson and Dina Asher-Smith uh, and because of their great successes on the track. Um, I'm going to move on slightly to the location. Now, Josh, what do you think, what do you make of, of, of the athletics championships being in Doha? Um, Searing heat has caused problems at times for, for athletes. Um, lack of fans at times. Um, obviously, you've got the 2022 uh, World Cup happening in Qatar. You've got certain human rights issues as well surrounding all of this. What do you make of, of, of Doha being given this 
championships. I'm just not sure how how Qatar, given its kind of uh, the publicity around its 2022 World Cup bid, can host any international tournaments really, and and, and not expect a, a huge amount of kind of scrutiny and criticism. Um, it, I just I can't imagine sort of running a PB or breaking a world record or getting a gold. And just uh, and less than half the stadium being full, you're kind of at the pinnacle of your career. You're you're breaking a world record, and there's there's nobody watching. It's it's staggering, really. And this is after lots of tickets are given out free to um, to kind of migrant workers, I think, to schools as well, uh, and to, to kind of various other people. And still, they can't fill the stadiums. So it, <laughs> that. It can't, doesn't amount to a good tournament for me. And yeah, when there's been so much, uh, so many kind of well-publicised uh, kind of human rights abuses around the kind of workers um, who built the 2022 World Cup stadiums, all of that kind of going on. And I don't think anyone thought at the time, oh, hang on, there's a, another international tournament two years before the World Cup's even taking place. Uh, are we not going to talk about that? So a bit disappointing, really, and probably Lord Coe's reaction even even more so. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Lord Coe's reaction because that's the next point, and I'm going to come to you for it, Chris. Lord Coe has spoken out and said that, and I, in fact, I'll quote what he said. He said that it's pretty clear to us on athlete performance that this is the best world championships we have ever had. I mean, he's talking about people like Alison Felix, who has uh, broken Usain Bolt's record for the most world championship medals, um, he's talking about uh, different um, different world records being broken throughout the championships. Um, I mean, in his words, he said, it's really important that the sport moves around the world <coughs> and it cannot forge its relationships based on political structures or political systems. Now, this, aside from his comments, you've had, as Josh mentioned, at times, nearly empty stadiums. Um, it's thought that around uh, during the 100 meter final, when Asher Smith won the silver, it's thought that around 7,266 people were present inside a 48,000 capacity stadium. Mm. The average attendance, according to BBC Sport, for the for the first eight days was 20,000. So much for, so much less than half. Um, and then when you add on top of that the fact that during the World Championships, um, Alberto Salazar, who was Mo Farah's former coach and several co- former coaches uh, of athletes from the, um, the Championships, has been found guilty and banned from the sport for four years after doping violations. Now, all of this has happened during this World Championships. So I don't understand for me how Seb, can then say that this is the best championships we've ever had whether he's talking about i think it's slightly disingenuous whether he's talking about um performances on the track or not I mean, what do you make of his comments um i'm kind of yeah i'm very puzzled by them really because as you've uh, listed so well there there's so many aspects of this that were emphatically not a success um the fact that you had not just Dino Asher Smith, but plenty of other athletes as well, um, performing fantastically well and breaking world records. And for them to have 
such a small, in some cases, less than a thousand people watching them. It kind of robs them of their moment, really, which is really quite sad. Um, and it's just been, I think it's been a complete PR disaster, really. Um, it's, I, I can only hope that they kind of learn from this and then maybe uh, change the bidding structure or how they go about assigning these tournaments in future because it's really, really not worked. And this is probably the, one of the worst that I can remember for, for attendances, really, for such a for such a prestigious event. So I don't know, is Lorco just having to say these things to be relentlessly positive for his own position or I don't know. Um, to me, they're very puzzling and I completely disagree with them, to be honest. Yeah, and, and it kind of makes it even worse when you consider that, so when they did the um, the women's marathon, for example, um, mm. they had to do it at midnight because of the searing heat in the day anyway. And yet yeah. still, 28 of the 68 women who started the race dropped out along the way um, because yeah. they, couldn't, they couldn't finish the race because of the heat and the, and the humidity. They had to set up a makeshift hospital next to the finish line to, to, to stop people from, from kind of dehydrating, but all, also, I mean, honestly, dying in some places because of, of, of the amount of trouble they were in. Um, the, I think the, the winning time was almost 15 minutes slower than the world record pace. Um, yeah. And then adding on top of that, you talk about the empty stadiums, um, the organising chief, again, according to BBC Sport, Dalan Al-Hamad, said that filling the stadium is the challenge for all sports. Now, I don't know about you, Josh, but <laughs> for me, that's surely never a challenge, is it? If you're filling the... St- especially when you said you're giving it to schools and you're giving it to other authorities for free... How is that the case? Uh, I just think it's a bit like kind of Lord co-speak. It's just sort of say the complete opposite of what everyone's thinking and hope that people believe it. It's just really strange. They, um, I, I don't agree with the the point about kind of sport has to exist outside of kind of political kind of structures. Because if you're a, say if you're a spectator, loves athletics, wants to go to Qatar, but you happen to be gay, you go into a country where homosexuality is illegal and you treat it differently on the basis of that. So yeah. it's all very well you saying it's not political, but it, it directly affects a lot, a hell of a lot of spectators, the fact that you hold it in a particular country. I don't and think... In some, I was just going to say, in some cases, it directly affects the players or teams uh, competing. Like we had uh at the Europa League final this year, Mikatarian was banned from entering the country of Azerbaijan. So he couldn't yeah. even play f- for his team. Like that's that's effect directly re- affecting the re- ability of a, of one of the competitors to compete in the match because of a political yeah. war that's going on. Like that's outrageous. How can that happen? I think it's just a, a really easy kind of way of deflecting all criticism by saying, you know, sports and politics are separate. Like we know that like uh, kind of boycotts of sporting events like, you know, South Africa and apartheid in the 80s, boycotts mm. had a real impact on changing things. So yeah. I just I think it's really uh, lazy from Sebco to kind of to use that excuse and sort of pretend like everything's OK when I, I feel like the majority of sports fans, this will only make us dread the 2022 World Cup even more, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think you're. I, I completely agree, and I think that 
it, it says a lot about an event where you you and I, I also agree I agree with what he says to a certain extent because I think that it has to be shown around the world you have to move it to different places but you don't have to move it to places where it simply is not working to be held there or or it or it's being given there for for reasons that maybe are not solely athletic based um such where as there are... depositing 24 million into the athletic bank account <laughs> exactly <laughs> allegedly and um <laughs> well that happened that's not even alleged that is what happened and i think lord Coe's trying to cover up the fact that the iaaf just took the dollar yeah the dollar dollar bills um but I think that it does have to be shown around the world, but it has to be given to places that deserve to have it given to them. Um, and I think for many reasons, Doha was the wrong choice. Um, and then we've been out there and, and seen it. And the amount of ex-British uh, athletes who have then condemned it and, and, and ex world-class athletes who've condemned uh, the the holding of it in Doha and, and talked about what a disaster it's been apart from the athletes that have gone to compete there who have always been j- just exemplary for m- well, most of them most of the time it kind of it, it puts a massive downer on, on the sport of, of athletics and kind of turns people away from it which is unfair on the athletes, I don't know what you think Chris. Yeah, well, yeah as I said like to the pinnacle of your career to be played out in front of a uh, attendance that a national league side would be embarrassed by is a pretty pitiful state of affairs, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I have to agree, but not wanting to leave it on a on a on a sour note. For me, this world championship should just be about two people: Dina Asher Smith for a British wise, Dina Asher Smith, Katarina Johnson Thompson. Well done for flying the British flag so in such an exemplary way. And fingers crossed your actions on the track will go a long way to making sure that A, people have a role model um, growing up who who they can really kind of follow and have an idol. But also B, we start to get more uh, women, but also more people in general into the sport of athletics and following in your footsteps. So bravo to those people and fingers crossed we've got you for the next however many years flying the flag for Great Britain. Our final topic this week, before we go on to our brilliant sports quiz from Chris, is the major resurgence of Andy Murray. What a guy. He uh, continued his um, comeback with a first round win in the uh, Shanghai Open against Juan Ignacio Londero. Um, he even lost the first set 2-6, but came through it to win 2-6, 6-2, 6-3. I mean, last week he got to his first quarterfinals in more than a year um, in the China Open. Josh, is he fully on the comeback trail? Oh, so excited. So excited. Love Andy Murray. Love his comeback talk about him all day but i know i've only got a few minutes so it's fine um uh, so i think he very much is he's looking the one thing about andy murray's game as we all know is that he is quick and his movement is unbelievable and so having hip surgery to see if that movement is fully kind of how it was was the most important thing i think in his comeback and it really looks like it's all there um he's got i think he's a little bit rusty just because he hasn't played many matches 
but he beat uh, Matteo Berrettini, who got to the semi-final of the US Open, kind of one of the standout newcomers of this year. Beat him 7-6, 7-6, really tight game, looks incredibly sharp and really looks to have kind of remodelled his game slightly, coming to the net a lot more, trying to shorten the points, um, which has kind of worked really well for Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal to kind of pr- prolong their careers. So hopefully this this kind of blueprint moving forward um, could see Andy get back to, I don't know, where do you think he can get back to? Well, I, I don't quite see him getting back to his former level. Um but I think if he gets back to a point where he challenges, where he gets to the latter stages of competitions, where he maybe wins um, some ATP Tour titles, where he gets towards the quarterfinals, semifinals of, of Grand Slams, then it'll be miraculous based on the kind of the injury he had, the surgery, the, the slow comeback. It, it, it would be brilliant. Brilliant for the sport. Brilliant because he's such a good tennis player, but also just would show the the absolute professionalism but never say die attitude of a man who is just so talented so for me i i think that if he gets back to even 80 percent of what he was before then that would be absolutely brilliant for the sport of tennis absolutely i absolutely agree i think he him at 80 percent could be a hell of a lot of players on the tour and I think the thing that will probably spur him on is that no one's ever come back from hip replacement surgery to play singles ever again. And for him to be that first one to do it and to operate at a, a really good level, I think motivates him because he's just one of those people who he just loves playing tennis, but also just loves competing. And I think that competition with himself, can I come back from hip surgery and be the only one to do it? That's, that's Andy Murray all over. And I really hope that he gets back to to anywhere near the level he was at. I mean, Chris, what what do you think? He's ranked 289th in the world at the minute, um, ever so slowly rising. Do you think he can get back to to anywhere near where he was before? Yeah, he's sort of um, he pretty much halved his ranking, didn't he, recently? So from 503 to 289, that's quite a good jump. Um, yeah, I don't like you, Dan. I, I, I find it tough to see him getting all the way back up to top three or four in the world, like because it's yeah such a tough injury. There was there was questions over he'd ever play would would ever play again, wasn't there? Um, so to yeah, like you say, to even be out there at all is a massive achievement in itself. I think it would be wonderful to see him back at back at Wimbledon uh, again at least once. That would be that would be great. It would for be him. incredible. Yeah, and yeah, if he could win a like you say, an ATP title, even one of the more minor ones, that would be such an emotional moment. And yeah, prove that he's his competitive nature, really, that he's so famous for. Um, that'd be wonderful to see. A, a word of caution, though, is that pe- people have got ex- in Formula One, people got very excited about Robert Kubica coming back from a, he severed his hand in a rally accident and came back to Formula 1 and everyone was sort of getting quite excited about because he was such a good driver back in his heyday but he never he's off he's off the pace this season like he could never recover from to anywhere near the level he could and the the fairy tale kind of ended a little bit on a sour note because it didn't go quite the way people wanted it to go so 
I'm sort of braced for it not to be, but cautiously optimistic that maybe, maybe you will. Yeah, and and I really hope he does. Josh, what do you think about him being back at Wimbledon next year? I just thinking of that queue uh, for the, uh, the kind of <laughs> how many people be, want to see it. I think people would be queuing from like 48 hours before to get to see him. Uh, it'd be amazing. I'm, I'm right in thinking because he's a previous winner, he can use a wild card option, right? I believe so. Yeah, and I think I don't know if it's just for one year, but you may be able to use like a protected ranking. So he may not have to use a wild card at all. He might he might be able to get him because of his ranking. Or oh no, that might be two years ago. They'll definitely give him a wild card. There's no. Hopefully. Can you imagine the ticket sales going up? If oh, honestly, yeah. He, if he's if he's fit, he's absolutely a shoe in for a wild card. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, already back playing singles after so many so many months out, already beating the other British hopefuls on his way because he beat um, Cameron Norrie <laughs> on his way to the uh, the the quarterfinal of the China Open. Lost yeah. to eventual winner, Dominic Thiem. Um, so no no shame in that at all, because obviously yeah. Thiem's a really good player. Um, yeah, he was number one ranked seed for that tournament. Exactly. Um, I mean, in the next round of the, um, of the Shanghai Open, he's either going to play Fabio Fognini um, or Sam, Quer- Sam Quere. I think it's Fognini he's playing tomorrow. 10.30 actually just oh is, is that who it's going to be uh, yeah 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 what are your thoughts josh who who do you who do you back it's a tough match he's got quite a good record against fanini because he loves like fanini's incredibly attacking player and murray just loves to bunt it back really frustrate someone like fanini and get him to just to miss eventually just by getting loads of balls back um but it is a tough one yeah, Fanini's a very good player. I'd probably back Fanini just because he's not quite at the level yet where I think he'd, yeah, it'd take a, take a big effort, especially after winning two matches last week. I, I mean, Fanini. if he was to beat him, what, a, what an insanely good result for tennis, but also for Andy Murray himself as like a confidence booster to beat someone so high in the rankings so early in his comeback. Mm, absolutely. Um, and I, th- I think it's just nice to see everyone wishing well. There's been lots of kind of warm handshakes at the net. I think everyone's delighted to see him back. Um, what I really want to see is uh, him to kind of, I know it's never going to happen, but if he to, were to win the Australian Open last year when he last played a match there, they played like a retirement video for him. And it was pretty much like, thank you, Andy Murray. We're never going to see you again. So it'd be great to see him come back and win it. And they'd can you play that video again. Because, yeah, uh, just keep playing it every time. <laughs> That would be great. Um, and I hope, really hope he does it. I mean, final question to you, Chris, on this section. Do you see Andy Murray changing his game at all um, because of the long layoff, because of the, the injury problems, because of the uh, surgery on his hip? Mm. Or do you see him still being the same kind of never-say-die attitude, keep going, get the ball back, um, but also with such brilliant skill, such brilliant finesse at times, uh, and an amazing backhand? I think his that competitive spirit and that that relentless ability to to get the ball back to grind it out that'll always be part of his his makeup i think however he may have to try and adapt slightly as federer has done uh, in federer's case due to age rather than due to injury uh, and maybe be a bit more selective about 
the tournaments he enters, first of all, and give himself adequate rest between each tournament. And also look to shorten the points, possibly, where, where possible, just to take a bit out of, bit less out of the body on each match. So maybe um, a bit more work on on the serve, perhaps, uh, sort of shortening the points that way. Um, and just sort of work to the tools he has available, really. So, yeah, we might see a slight change, but I, I don't see him suddenly becoming like a servolier or anything too radical like that. So, yeah. No, and I think, I think once he's, because he seems like quite a, a stubborn personality, quite a, a, as a, as we've all said, a never say die kind of attitude, I think it's then hard to change someone's mentality yeah. when they then go back into that competitive environment. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think he'd be wrong too. I think he should, that should always uh, stay with you really. Yeah, very true. I mean, for me, just to finish this topic, I, I'm so delighted about the fact that Andy Murray is back in the singles game, back winning uh, matches, but just back where you're reading stories about him playing just brilliant tennis yet again. Um, he still looks like the tough spirited character that he always was. And I'm here just hoping that he can get anywhere near back to his former brilliant level. For me, all hail Andy Murray. It's now time for the quiz and it's Chris's turn this week. I was really, really harsh last week in my numbers-based quiz. Um, Chris, Josh, you both did a little worse than in previous weeks, so I apologise for that. Chris, it's your turn this week. I imagine you've repaid the favour and been really hard. I'm not looking forward to it, but secretly I am because it's going to be really challenging, I imagine. But... When you're ready, Chris, give us your brilliant quiz. Okay, Dan, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's some interesting questions here. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more obscure. However, they are all multiple choice. So oh, okay. It's tempered it, tempered it a bit. Oh, nice. so. That's good. I like that. So it's, it's a bit of a mix, guys. So let's see how you get on. Are you ready for question one? Absolutely. Ready. Okay, so... Question one. Uh, Tottenham were humiliated by uh, Bayern Munich this week, but uh, incredibly, it wasn't their biggest ever defeat at home. So my question is this. Which team beat them 8-2 in 1888? Was it A, the Old Etonians, B, Newton Heath, C, Woolwich Arsenal, or D, Notts County? How's your 1888 knowledge, lads? Pretty, pretty decent. That was my kind of footballing time, you know. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, you'll be fine then. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, done. Okay, done you got an answer, guys? Yep. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so second question. Once again, it's a football topic. A little bit more uh, recent, though, than the last one. So my question is, it's from Europe. Uh, why did Nice sack their young striker, Lamine Diaby Fadiga, this week? Was it A, he admitted in an interview that he'd rather play for Marseille as they are a big club, in inverted commas. Uh, is it B, he was caught selling his staff tickets to games on Gumtree? <laughs> was, <laughs> was it C, 
he mocked Nice manager Patrick Vieira's charity work, asking him, if you love Senegal so much, why didn't you play for them? <laughs> or was it D? He stole a teammate's watch from the changing room. really tough there's four very plausible answers yeah, there really are you know, well to come up with the, very the falsehoods good. yeah, yeah. I do <laughs> right yeah I've got an answer yeah okay I'm done next one we do we do five questions don't we five just yeah just to check five yeah okay that's great that's great so uh, next question and it's a topic we, we touched on, actually, on our second segment. So, Dina Asher-Smith won the women's 200 metres race at the World Championships this week. Um, the 23-year-old, though, is not just the fastest woman in Great Britain. She's also a history graduate. But what was her dissertation about? Oh. Was it A? <laughs> 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 I'm glad we did bring this up in the wow. segment, actually. Okay, so it's a good start. Is it A, how the Beatles revolutionised Liverpool's tourism industry? Is it B, uh, the evolution of world records in the women's 200 metres race? Uh, Was it C, human rights abuses in the Gulf states? Topical. Or was it D, the history of jazz uh, in the United States of America? thought I knew it and then this is worse than Dan's yeah, this is <laughs> you know when you've put the same letter for every single question hoping that you've alternated the letters yeah that's exactly what I've done <laughs> good tactics yeah, yeah. I've got an answer that's good um, that's more tactics than Spurs have shown in the past week <laughs> so you dig Okay, next question. <laughs> question four. Cade Lavelle won a 10 kilometers race in Minnesota this week, but why was that unexpected? Was it A, he set off 20 minutes after everybody else? Was it B, he's blind and was led around by his guide dog? Was it C, he pulled up with a hamstring injury in the last 500 meters and then hopped the way home? Still winning. Or was it D, He's nine years old and thought he's running a 5K. <laughs> There's a lot of sighing going on, that's you, right? I know. I, I mean... It's all from me, actually. <laughs> I mean, I don't expect to not have a clue about anyone. I mean, I suppose I have some idea, but no, not yet. <laughs> the, the issue is, I feel like I've read that somewhere. Yeah. I just yeah. didn't pay attention to it. These were ones where I'd sort of seen the headline and delved a bit. I definitely, a bit paid a, I definitely seen that. These questions. Oh, right, I've got an answer. Got an answer, right. Last question. You might be relieved to know. And it's actually one of your favourite topics, guys. It's on cricket. Yeah, good. Right. So... The eight teams involved in the new cricket competition, the 100, were announced this week. All eight teams wear shirts sponsored by KP, who make some of the most loved snacks in the UK. But which of these brands does not feature on a shirt? Is it A, Skips, B, Hula Hoops, C, McCoy's, or D, Monster Munch? 
Oh no. I know <laughs> I know that two of them definitely are on. You've been checking them out, haven't you, Dan? Yeah, I have. That's the problem. So <laughs> can you give Oh no, in fact I don't want to say that because otherwise I might give Josh a clue unless he knows already. Uh, can you give all the options again? Yeah. So A skips, B hula hoops, C McCoy's, or D Monster Munch. <laughs> I'm yeah, done. <laughs> I know I know it's between two for the last one, but I just don't know which one it is. Right, yeah. Right. You, Off you go, Chris. You Let's give that go okay. through those answers. So question one uh was about Tottenham and their biggest ever defeat at home. The question being which team beat them eight two in eighteen eighty eight? We had the choice of Old Etonians, Newton Heath, Woolwich Arsenal or Knox County. And the correct answer is the Old Etonians. Oh. I went for Newton Heath. I also went for Newton Heath. <laughs> oh, well, that's a fact. Right. <laughs> oh, no, this is going to go poorly. Maybe you'll fare better on the second question. Yeah. So the second question is... Why did Nice sack their young striker, Lamine Diaby Fadiga, this week? Uh, A was admitting he'd rather play for Marseille. B was selling staff tickets to games on Gumtree. C, mocking Patrick Vieira's charity work. Or D, stealing a watch, teammates' watch from the changing see, rooms. I went for C, Patrick Vieira. Right. I also went for C, Patrick Vieira. Oh, guys, the answer's D. Uh, stole a watch. No. St- right, so the story of this is quite interesting. So, uh, what was the guy's name? Casper Dahlberg had been training, and then he came back to the changing room and found his watch had gone. So then was very annoyed about it, writing on Twitter, obviously moaning internally at the club as well about this this theft. And eventually, after about a few days, DRB Fadiger apologised for it and admitted it was him. So then <laughs> Dahlberg asked for his watch back, and Fadiger said. Uh, might be a bit of trouble with that. I've already sold it. <laughs> so he sold it on the black market. The watch Amazing. is worth seven. The watch is worth seventy thousand euros. What? <laughs> so, oh my! God. I mean, that's a couple of weeks' wait. That's right? horrendous, though. Just wait. Yeah, so he's, he's offered to pay it back, but he could legitimately still go to jail for this if Goldo right. presses charges. Yeah. Oh and I think today he was sacked by the club. I think I read today. So, wow. yeah, it's this is an expensive mistake. This so, in many ways, um, and he said he was jealous of his more successful teammate. That's why he did it. <laughs> Imagine being that jealous of a watch. <laughs> Incredible. Anyway, okay, we'll move on to the next question. So this was about Dino Asher Smith. <laughs> Dino Asher Smith. Uh, what was her dissertation about? Was it how the Beatles revolutionised Liverpool's tourism, the evolution of world records in the women's 200 metres, human rights abuse in the Gulf states, or the history of jazz in America? I've gone for history of jazz. I'm honestly not okay. that. I've also gone for history of jazz. <laughs> well, you guys will be pleased to know you got it correct. It was on the history of jazz. I was going she... for the uh, human rights one, but I went for history yeah. of jazz because I don't know why. It's... Just guessed she uh, she focused on Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington. Makes sense. I, I say makes sense. I, 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 yeah, I know who Louis Armstrong is. 
<laughs> distinctive voice. Um, that's why actually Duke, Duke Ellington is why Nathan Ellington, who played for Wigan, was nicknamed the Duke. Oh, and he played okay. at Jason Roberts. I like that. Some, some mid 2000s knowledge for you there, guys. Very nice. Um, okay, <laughs> next question was uh, concerning running. Um, Cade Lavelle won a 10 kilometre race in Minnesota this week, but why was it unexpected? The options were he set off 20 minutes after everyone else. He was he is blind and was led around by his guide dog. Uh, C was pulled up with a hamstring and hopped the last 500 metres. Or D, he's nine years old and thought he was running, running a 5K. What did you guys go for? I went for, because I, I remember seeing this headline on someone, someone like Facebook, and I think he was trying to run a 5K, but ended up running a 10K somehow. Okay. I went for, so you've gone for B. I went for B, blind man running okay. a dog. The correct answer is D. Dan, you're correct on that one. Yes. So the story here is he started on the five kilometre route for kids, took a wrong turn and ended up on the 10k course for adults <laughs> and ended up winning it. Brilliant. <laughs> so when he, when he didn't finish the 5k, his mum started to panic. <laughs> and... <laughs> wow. So uh, his mum was terrified and then... Uh, and then she eventually got a call from her brother-in-law. He told me there's a cute little kid in a red shirt running the 10K. <laughs> oh, oh. It's quite a nice little story, really. That's a we lovely, that's a hard story one. after our human right abuse talk about Yeah, this I agree. <laughs> Some light, really. <laughs> <laughs> and our final question was concerning cricket. Um, the eight teams involved in the 100, the new cricket competition, were announced this week. And they're all sponsored by KP. But which of these brands does not feature on a shirt? The options were Skips, Hula Hoops, McCoys or Monster Munch. And what did you guys select? I was pretty sure that Skips and McCoys were definite ones. I couldn't remember whether it was Hula Hoops or Monster Munch, so I went for Hula Hoops. Well, I've I've gone for uh, C, McCoys. Uh, unfortunately, you're both wrong. It is Monster oh, Munch. No, I knew it was one of them. They were manufactured by the rival company, Walkers. Of course they are. Idiot. <laughs> Damn it. Well, so, I mean, after that quiz, Chris, it leaves me on two out of five, Josh. That's a one out of five for me. I mean, great quiz, Chris. But very better than me last week, though. So. That, is, that is also true. So, But I'll give you the scores, though. Josh... Your score is now 10 out of 20, exactly half. I'll take my, it. My score is now 8.5 out of 15. And Chris, you are still on 6 out of 15. So okay. I think average-wise, I'm, I'm just in the lead, but that will completely depend on Josh's quiz from next time. How Thanks do I the- top the multiple choice and numbers quizzes? I don't know. I'll have to have a think. It's, it's a difficult one. You'll have to get your thinking hat on. It was quite a devilish multiple choice, wasn't it? Mm. Okay. Well, thanks, Chris. <laughs> Great quiz. And I look forward to yours next week, Josh. So that's all we've got time for this week. Um, Thanks to everyone listening for joining us on Sports Weekly. We are going to tweet out our polls. So if you want to listen, if you want to follow us on Twitter, then it is at Pod Sports Weekly. Um, Josh and Chris, did you enjoy yourselves? 
Absolutely, yeah. Had a fantastic time once again, Dan. Thank you. I did indeed. Yep. Good chat. Good politics. Good sport. All good. Excellent news. And you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good politics. Uh, um, sketchy <laughs> politics. Yes, definitely. Um, still there to join us next week, guys? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to it already. Yeah, I'll be there. And but the following week, I'll be in Valencia doing some oh, Valencia-based wow. research for the sports podcast. But well, I mean, as long as it's research-based, then you know I'm fine with it. But thanks as ever, guys, for joining me on this podcast. You've been listening to Sports Weekly, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.